we go. Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I am still Joe. I'm your host. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Truck. You can read me on Hashtag Basketball, Palace of Pistons, Piston Powered, and my own site, Truck Thoughts. Ku uh, is out again today, but I am joined by Ryan Love. You can introduce yourself, Ryan. Yep, I'm Ryan. Uh, I'm a writer for Hashtag Pistons as well. Um, uh, that's You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Realist Ryan Love. Yeah. Did you ever have a problem with a fake Ryan Love, or did you just go realist? No, just... well, well, I wanted to go, uh, like, the idea was to go real Ryan Love, and then that was taken, and so we'd always, like, I guess in high school we had just had, like, this running joke or whatever, like, because um, people would always say, like, real something before their Twitter handle or whatever, and we would always say, but you got to be, like, realist or realer, 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 so. So I went th- with the realist, and it worked. All right. Um, so, first thing we're gonna jump into is some sort of general thoughts on, um, of course, the Pistons in their most recent game. They got destroyed by the Boston Celtics. Final score of one hundred nine to eighty nine, and it was worse than the final score. In fact, for most of the game, they almost—I don't know if they ever quite pushed it to thirty points, but they got pretty close a couple of times. Uh, really, no one on the Pistons played well. Blake Griffin really came back to earth. He only scored seven points. Andre Drummond did manage 18 points, but just eight rebounds. Uh, Reggie Jackson only scored eight points. Reggie Bullock only six points. Probably the only guy who really looked any good at all for the Pistons was Stanley Johnson. And for the Celtics, they just shot really, really well from deep. Their bench scored a bunch of points. Terry Rozier scored 14. Marcus Morris scored 18. Daniel Tice Scored 17 points off the bench, all for the Celtics. So, yeah, you can go first on this. Just sort of any sort of general thoughts on the the last game. Yeah, I mean, I feel like for, like, if anybody pays more attention to the Celtics, um, I feel like it was kind of due for both teams, like a game kind of like this, where the, the Pistons felt like they were on such a high with all, you know, they had a lot of close games, and, you know, Blake had just been playing out of his mind, and, you know, they had been sliding by without, you know, their poor shooting in general kind of coming to bite them. And I feel like it bit them in this game and they kind of, the Celtics locked down on Blake and the Celtics started to shoot well, which they hadn't really been, you know, playing all that well to start their season. So I feel like it was kind of a combination of the two where the Pistons offense has been weird, but good enough to get by the teams they faced and the Celtics defense you know, just hadn't been working for them until tonight where they really just, you know, once they took Blake out of it, that was kind of it. Yeah, I mean, like you said at the start, that is the most important thing is that there is definitely an extent here to which it was just, for both teams, sort of regression to the mean. Uh, The Celtics leading up to this game had shot almost universally very, very, very poorly from three. The Pistons had been shooting pretty well as a team. They were at like 38% after this game, and the Celtics had been just shooting absolutely miserably. In this game, the Celtics shot 41% from three, while the Pistons the Pistons shot just 18%, 7 of 37 from deep. And so, yeah, I mean, there's just there's an extent to which that was just, sometimes it just breaks poorly, and that's how it ends up for you, where... Uh, your enti- your team just shoots really poorly, and the other team shoots really well. And then the other thing is just 
the the reason that it ended up being a blowout is that that combined with the fact that the Celtics are just a better team and the Pistons did not really just they didn't quite have it to make up that difference so it was a combination of the fact that the Celtics are first off just a better team and also that the Celtics shot really well and the Pistons shot really poorly and while there's definitely some sort of wider wider things to take from this game about the Pistons offense. It is important to remember that the Celtics do this to a lot of people. They already have cemented themselves as, by a pretty wide margin, the best defense in the NBA. Uh, After that game, they are still first in the NBA in defensive rating by allowing just 95.2 points per 100 possessions, which is first by a a wide margin. Uh, They're over 2 points per 100 possessions ahead of the Milwaukee Bucks, who are number 2. So, yeah, and the the main thing, though, that sort of has a bigger picture thing from this is it really exposed two things about the Pistons, I think. Um, thing number one is that the Pistons offense really does not have, does not have an effective plan B beyond Blake Griffin go do things. And so the Celtics just really locked in on not letting Blake Griffin beat them, and the Pistons did not really have an answer after that. Uh, they didn't really even have any wrinkles to add to the game to try and make life easier for Blake. It was pretty much all just, well, we're going to post you up against whoever happens to be guarding you, and you've got to do something. And so that and that, that, that was an issue through the first four games for the Pistons. Just Blake Griffin had played so well that it didn't matter, combined with the fact that opposing defenses were not really... They weren't overly keyed to him uh, in their last game against the Cavs. The Cavs had started to throw some double teams at him, and it had sort of mucked up the Pistons' offense at times. But the Pistons were able to, just because the Cavs are really bad, the Pistons were able to make it work anyways. But obviously the Celtics are, not only are they better than the Cavs defensively, the Celtics are spectacular on defense. And so they're right. able to just the, the, yeah. That's the thing too. Like you know, the Celtics were able to put a smaller, like a good defense, a good def- defender in Jalen Brown on Blake, like in one-on-one situations. But as soon as Blake would even come close to, and once he would pass the key and get into the paint, you know, they're all collapsing on him. And you know, there's a lot. There was a lot of, especially in the beginning of the game. I feel like there was a lot of tough calls where, you know, it was a lot of. Could he have been fouled? Probably. It's the same thing that you know LeBron goes through at every game that he has, where any time he's pushing into the paint, he's going to get beat up, and they're not always going to call him. But that's the, I feel like that's a huge win for the Celtics if they can put Jalen Brown on him, yet still you know force like Blake only. I know, I know he was not on him the whole time, but uh, I mean you force Blake to seven points in a game after the tear he's been on. You know that's a pretty pretty decent job by them. Yeah, and one thing that did happen in this game is Blake Griffin went 0 for 4 from 3, which that was, <laughs> he'd been shooting like over 60% on the year. Even after that game, he's shooting over 50%. So this was going to happen at some point where he was going to go cold from deep. But yeah, like you said, it's a huge win for them to be able to put smaller guys, whether it's Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or even Gordon Hayward took a couple of shots at him, or Marcus Smart, or whoever. And because they're just there so long, so fast, so disciplined, that the moment Blake got into the paint, or even near it, with any, regardless of who was defending him, they were all just all over him. And it is worth mentioning, like you said, that there are definitely some tough calls. There's one in particular 
where Marcus Smart got him, and it was they showed a replay, and it absolutely should have been a foul. And Blake Griffin just got no benefits there. And also, Andre Drummond's first two fouls, which made him leave the game early, uh, they were both very much so kind of ticky-tack fouls. Uh, yeah, definitely. I'm not going to say that they were terrible calls because the replay showed that they weren't, but definitely tough calls to get two early fouls on. So that definitely, I'm not saying that the Pistons would have won this game had the fouls been different there, but it definitely did change the complexion of the game early on. It made it hard for Blake to get into any sort of a rhythm and obviously took Andre Drummond out of the game very early, which is, of course, a problem, especially against this Celtics team. But yeah, yeah, because he, he really tends to dominate the Celtics when, you know, whether the team as a whole does well, you know, you expect Drummond to, you know, he always, it seems like every time, at least when they go into Boston, it seems like he's got like, you know, 20, 24 rebounds. He has those kind of games against them every single time this time. Like, I can't remember the last time I saw him get under 10 rebounds and he got eight in this game. So, you know, I just feel like, I mean, that one thing like this I feel like every shot for the Celtics seemed to drop so that's part of that and then the, the Pistons just weren't getting a whole lot of good look so it's not like he had a chance for all those offensive boards that he usually racks up yeah and there was a certain extent to which at least through some parts of the game because um, I've already done a second view I haven't done a bit on it yet but I will but some of it was that Andre Drummond, I felt like, whether because he just didn't feel like it or because he was worried about picking up more fouls, he did not assert himself enough on the offensive glass. Like, there were a couple of times where uh, where Gordon Hayward tried to box him out, and Andre was in good enough position that he should have been able to just, you know, sit down and push Gordon Hayward out of the way and get himself into prime rebounding position, and he just kind of didn't and tried to just jump over him. And, you know, against a team as disciplined as the Celtics and who's as aware of how much trouble Andre Drummond can give them, that's just not going to cut it. You know, you can't just say, well, I'm kind of here and I'll just try and jump over him for it. You've got to be able to really go in and get it. And so part of it was that Andre Drummond didn't quite bring the right attitude to offensive rebounding in this game, whether once again, whether because he just didn't feel like it or because he was afraid of getting more fouls, which is would be a fair thing to be afraid of if you were him. But it also was that the Celtics just, they were incredibly diligent about keeping bodies on Andre Drummond the entire night. Um, they regularly were getting all five guys into the paint for rebounds. And that really made it tough for Andre. So even though it is partially his fault, and also, you know, just like anything with rebounds, there's an extent to which it's just bad luck that not enough bounced his way. But he it was it was pretty surprising to see him get so shut off from the, the offensive glass as he was. And, yeah, so the fouls definitely changed the game early on. It changed the complexion a bit. But, once again, the biggest thing for me is just that the Pistons just don't have anything in place, at least yet, to make it easier on Blake Griffin in those situations where if a team finds a way to really give him trouble, uh, not only do they not have something in place where they run things that are not strictly through Blake Griffin to make it work better, but they don't even really have ways to ways to make it easier for Blake Griffin. So you're still running everything through Blake Griffin, but you're running things away from him, you know, guys off the ball doing things to try and make his life easier for him. 
and they just didn't have that. And that's kind of, even in the second half, they never really found it. And for what it's worth, that's always been a hallmark of Dwayne Casey coached teams. He's really never been a guy who's... He's, his biggest weakness has always been that he really struggles to make in-game adjustments schematically, and clearly he was just utterly outmatched by Brad Stevens in this one. And then defensively, the biggest thing from this game, other than the fact that, once again, the Celtics just shot really well from three, and part of it has nothing to do with the Pistons' defense, but the Celtics didn't really even have to, and it felt like, certainly, that the Celtics didn't really even have to hardly work for a lot of their points. They just sort of were able to just kind of come down the floor and do whatever they wanted. And part of it was bad by the Pistons on trying to get back on defense or a few possessions where it was just laziness on their part. But the bigger thing that this exposed is that the Pistons just do not have very many good defenders on their roster. And so Celtics players were pretty able to just kind of go do their thing and they didn't even have to hardly do anything exotic you know to make it happen and once yeah, again and I, I, feel, I feel like that i feel like that speaks to the way that the um that the celtics like just how deep they are because i yeah. feel like all their guys are just they they're full of energy the whole time because stevens can pull them at any point and put in a guy just as good if not better so it's like because like you when you look at games like this is like you know Kyrie doesn't hasn't played well all season tatum didn't have that great of a game you know, it's it it's tough when you know they're some of their who are supposed to be their best guys don't have good games and still they just dominate. Yeah, I mean Kyrie Irving only scored three points and Jason Tatum scored six, so right. <laughs> they were combined what three of fourteen from the field between the two of them. So, yeah, it's uh, and you know once again part of that just like you said, part of this game is just that the Celtics are really good and they played a great game, and when that happens you're going to lose when when a great team is really on their game they're hitting their shots they're not screwing up uh you're going to lose and that is a that is a big part of this is just well <laughs> that's just how it's going to be tonight and so yeah when, when when daniel tice has 17 points you know that's what that's just what's going to happen well one thing with that is that was another schematic thing that i didn't get and it's possible that this is more that this is more Andre Drummond than Dwayne Casey, uh, because there's been some there once upon a time before last season when Stan Van Gundy typically wanted Andre Drummond playing this sort of a more conservative defensive style like they are now. There were sort of conflicting reports about how much of Andre Drummond's not wanting to go out and defend shooters. Guy, you know, big guys who could shoot. There were conflicting reports about how much of that was because Andre Drummond just wasn't doing it, and how much of it was Stan Van Gundy telling him, "Well, don't do that." But they clearly did not. They 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 let Daniel Tice shoot, and honestly, they let Al Horford shoot too. And Al Horford missed all five of his three pointers. But right, yeah, Daniel they, they Tice got lucky on those. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Tice went two of three from deep, and then it just opened up the whole game for them, and. It's it's pretty confusing to me why, particularly with a team like the Celtics, where Al Horford has been a good shooter for years now. Daniel Tice showed last year he can shoot, and it's just it's pretty baffling to me that they would just so blatantly decide not to cover on the outside on those things. And once again, maybe it's more that Andre Drummond just doesn't want to. Uh, I'm open to that possibility, but whoever is deciding that seems like. 
it just seems like a bad decision to be making. So right, especially like in the game today, like it's just not something you can do in today's NBA. Not come out on just about any big man, you know. Like if if Hassan Whiteside's out there, yeah, no, I'm not going to run out on him. But everybody else out there, yeah, sure, you have to. Yeah, and so this just hopefully that's not a that's not a pattern. Uh, hopefully somehow they just kind of screwed up in there because I remember that initially Daniel Tice wasn't even supposed to play in this game. I don't think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he was. I think he was questionable all the way up until. Yeah, I think he had some kind of foot thing going on. Yeah, so maybe there was just sort of a. It was just sort of a fluke in the game plan, and so then they went out, and then he was able to shoot, and they're like, "Oh crap, that's right, Daniel Tice can shoot," and you know that still wouldn't be good that they just screwed that up, but hopefully that's just a fluke in this game plan and not something that's going to be a big issue going forward because obviously there's a lot of big men in the NBA who can shoot the three pretty well. And if you're just not going to guard them, they're going to, they're going to give you problems. So right. yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah, mostly it's just this Celtic team is really, 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 really good. They've got a bunch of good players. They are very, very deep and they were just on top of their game and the Pistons were very much not, um, Ish Smith had his first really bad game of the year. Langston Galloway went one of six as well. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Glenn Robinson in a sec, but I actually want to interject before that that the one good thing out of this game is that Stanley Johnson showed some real signs of life. He scored 16 points on 11 shots. He went three of eight from deep, six of 11 overall from the field. Also had a pair of assists, and the main spot you saw him thrive is once again when he's able to get out in transition. And so I'm not sure what the answer is to get him more transition opportunities, but somehow or another they need to use him in such a way that he's going to get a chance to handle the ball on the break because that is by far his best his best offensive contributions so far. Yeah, and I, 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 feel, like we, I feel like we've kind of missed out on him uh, like he's gotten those opportunities in the past. Like, I mean, like not necessarily this season, but like in seasons past and we would always kind of, it would always bum everybody out. Cause he could never, there were a lot of times where he just couldn't finish. It doesn't feel like he would, you know, be able to finish around the basket if somebody was down there with him. But like the last few games, he has been really, really nice around the, like close to the basket where he's, he's finishing with like just great touch and everything, which I felt felt like was always an issue for him until like just recently. Well, it has been. Um, I, I've said it before, but the issue with Stanley Johnson, for all that people like Koo, for instance, say that it's just, oh, it's just a confidence thing, it's just this, it's just that. The biggest issue with Stanley Johnson is that there has literally been no situation in his entire career where he has been an above-average scorer. Uh, there has been no situation you can put him in. So it's like, you know, people are like, oh, they just need to find the right situation for him. They just need to do this. They need to do that. That really is not it. It's that no matter what situation they've put him in, no matter what sort of shots they've found him, no matter what, he's always been, he can't, he just can't hit enough shots. And last year when he started to come off the bench, he started to find a rhythm with the bench mob as sort of a guy who's going to just push it in transition. And for the first time, we have something concrete, which even though his half-court offense is still kind of a mess, we have at least one thing that we can look at and go, okay, Stanley Johnson can do this, and he can be effective at it, and it can be a way for him to score points and make your offense better. So, 
I'm not sure what exactly the answer would be, if it would be maybe to put him back to the bench again, or just play him with bench mobs more, maybe play him without Blake Griffin more, because Blake Griffin likes to handle the ball in the break a lot. Uh, whatever the answer is, they need to find a way to let Stanley Johnson get out and transition more often going forward. Um, and just we can segue from that right into the... Um, Glenn Robinson, he did end up playing a little bit at the very end of this game, but Glenn Robinson has not played very much this year. And that is pretty surprising to a lot of people. Uh, it's probably to most of us. He has played in four of their five games, but not a lot of minutes. And especially for him not to play in this game against a Celtic team that has so many long wings, it just seemed like the if you're going to use him, this would be the game to do it, especially given that Luke Kennard is now hurt. So there's minutes open on the wing. And so, yeah, just sort of give your thoughts on the, the Glenn Robinson situation. Yeah, you pretty much hit all of it. Like, especially, with, yeah, with Kennard out, I feel like against a team like this, you absolutely have to get him out there, especially when you're struggling to score and it feels like nothing's working. Like, that's something, going back to, again, what you said about Casey not really making great in-game adjustments. I feel like putting GR3 in early is that like that's something that can really kind of if you, if there's any spark that's going to be had in a game like this that's the kind of guy you're going to put in there and kind of get things going and maybe maybe be able to handle some of those longer Celtic players. Well, yeah, I mean it's just the Celtics almost their entire team is just made up of big long wings and they're all good. So it just would seem like if you're going to use Glenn Robinson, this is the game to do it. And another thing, now, a big reason for this is that Langston Galloway has shot really poorly so far this season. So at some point he'll start to hit more shots and it will look better. But lineups with him on the floor have been miserable so far this year, especially ones with him and Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith. And I'm really not a fan of those lineups. That is, I think that is just way too small to have those three guys on the floor. Yeah. Uh, Reggie Jackson is essentially playing small forward at that point, and that's just <laughs> that just ain't going to be. That just isn't going to work. I don't think. Uh, on nights where Galloway is really hitting threes, obviously it can work, but that's the case with anything with Galloway. Because on nights where he he obviously has some nights where he really catches fire, in which case. You could play him at center and it would work out because he's just going to, all the points he give up, he's going to get back on the other end. But you just, I really am not a fan of that. And, you know, just to touch on it, before sort of garbage time, the Pistons only played eight guys in this game, really. Uh, without Luke Kennard, they basically went to an eight-man rotation. And I am really not a fan of that either. Uh, I think particularly on the wings, the Pistons have enough guys who can play that there's really no reason for them to try and go that shallow into the rotation. Uh, you know, they've got Glenn Robinson, Jose Calderon can play a little bit, Bruce Brown can play a little bit. It's just, I don't know why you wouldn't go deeper into the rotation. And another thing, I guess, to tack onto that is John Luer got some game time in at the end of the game in this one, and Maybe they're still working him back into game shape and sort of just let him play a little bit at the end of this was just that, just trying to get him some more run. But if he's ready to go, that guy's got to be playing. You, there's no excuse to play Zaza Pachulia over him. John Lewis better in pretty much every way. And Zaza's been, I'm fine, he's been serviceable, but I really, if John Lewis is ready to go, he's got to play. Um, 
And I don't know if the answer for Glenn Robinson is to start him. There's a lot of people who think the Pistons should do that. But especially if Luke Kennard's going to be out, I just see no reason to not to not use him, at least occasionally, to spell guys for minutes. Because yes, yeah, especially with 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 Bullock doing like I, I like Bullock a lot, but he he has this thing, especially like it's noticeable now, like the last two or three years, like he just had really slow start shooting starts. He just hasn't really been able to hit anything. And you know, if if your offense is that bogged down, where even Bullock, who's arguably your best like pure shooter, you know, if if he's struggling, then you need you need at least some kind of shakeup. Like it, I don't think Glenn Robinson needs to start, but he certainly needs more than you know eight minutes at the end of a game that's already lost. You know. Yeah. Well, you paid him this off season. He's the one guy that you really went and got this off season, and he fills a very obvious role on this team of being sort of a bigger wing guy who is not miserable on offense like Stanley Johnson is. Uh, They really have no one else on the roster who fits that role. Uh, Reggie Bullock is a little bit small to really be, to play too much small forward. Uh, Certainly Reggie Bullock is not playing any power forward. And so Glenn Robinson has enough size to be a proper forward at either spot. And he also is a good enough offensive player that it's not the Stanley Johnson effect where it's just when he's on the floor, your offense is terrible. And given that, it's pretty it's pretty bizarre to me that he's not playing. And Dwayne Casey said after the game that there wasn't any, you know, there was nothing wrong with Glenn, there's no issues, just we just didn't play him. And there's an extent to which that makes me almost feel worse that Dwayne Casey just actively decided, no, we just don't want to play him because we're not going to play him. And that's just bizarre to me. And the fact that Jose Calderon actually got into this game with before total garbage time over Glenn Robinson, which that also happened a few games ago where Calderon got in before Luke Kennard, before garbage time. And... I mean, Jose Calderon's not terrible or anything. I don't think, at least. But no, he's he's a he's a serviceable guy if you need him. But there's... I don't think the Pistons certainly don't need him over the guys, the other guys yeah. that they have. I mean, obviously Kennard's injured now, but there's no reason for Calderon to be playing over Luke Kennard. There's no reason for Calderon to be playing over Glenn Robinson, and it's just it's a little bit baffling to me. Uh, Dwayne Casey has always kind of been. He's not always, once again, he's not a great, not only is he not great, he's typically been pretty poor as an in-game decision maker. And, you know, he does bring other things to the table as a coach, of course, but so far this year we've already seen that in full force that there's times where he just does stuff and it's like, why why are you doing this? Why is Jose Calderon in the game? Where is Glenn Robinson? And this was just, it's just a prime example where, like you, I'm not, I'm not fully on the Glenn Robinson for starter train. Uh, I'm fine with Stanley Johnson getting that chance, but he's got to play, especially if Luke Kennard's going to be hurt, because you can't have an eight-man rotation. Uh, that's just that's not plausible, especially for a team that has as many guys who are injury concerns as the Pistons do. And Jose Calderon and Bruce Brown shouldn't play over him. He's better than both of those guys, so. I definitely think that he should be getting some run. Um, yeah, so anything else to add on to that? 
I don't think so. Yeah, it's just yeah, I I agree with you there. I I feel like the rotation just has to get figured out, which is I hate talking about the rotation because I feel like all like Stan Van Gundy's entire tenure here was man, I don't know if he can figure out this rotation. And again, like I just feel like we're not not that I've lost faith in Casey. You know, he's still first year here trying to figure out what to do with the this collection of players, but. But you hate you hate to see your young, newly added guys not get as much run as you'd like to see them have. Well, with Dwayne Casey, now obviously, like you said, it would be no matter what, it would be very foolish to have some sort of a panic about him because we're only five games into the season. It's his first year, so no big worries there, but it is worth being a little concerned about these things, even though it's only been five games this year, because, you know, you don't, we're not going off of just a five-game sample size. There's years of the Raptors to go to. And he did, now it worked better with the Raptors because they had a lot more good players, but he had definitely, with regularity, would do the same sort of a thing with the Raptors. And where he would just sort of, he would make decisions in the rotation, and it'd be kind of like, why are you... Why are you playing this guy so much and not playing this guy? And, you know, that sort of thing. And then this also connects really strongly with the offensive issues where they clearly have no plan B beyond Blake Griffin. And while I would like to just say, oh, it's early in the season, they'll get it figured out, and they still might, but the reality is you look through Dwayne Casey's history, there's not a whole lot of reason there to think that they're going to figure it out and find ways for the Pistons' offense to be functional without Blake Griffin. In fact, almost all the evidence suggests that they are going to not even attempt to figure out how to make the offense work without Blake Griffin. And that is, that's concerning to yeah, me. Yeah, and I, I, I feel... Oh, I think I'm... I think that last part just cut out a little bit. Oh, I think it's okay. Keep going. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I feel like it's a big part of, like... Uh, with Reggie Jackson specifically, I feel like you want him to be that guy. Like I think during uh, the beginning of last night's game, or yeah, last night's game that I uh, I noticed when once Blake started getting taken out of it, you want Reggie to like we everybody hates when he plays like hero ball, but you almost want him to kind of start trying to take over at that point because if you're not getting anything, then you're if you want to be the guy, the starting point guard on a you know a contending team every contending team has that point guard who can just go. And they, I don't like to, I don't want to be one of those people who condemn Reggie Jackson because he's a good, he's a good point guard, but you want him to be able to really like he, in the past he's had that mindset where he's just going to take over the game. And if nothing's working on your offense, you, you want to see him have it then. And I, I don't feel like, I feel like we haven't seen a whole, like I feel the first, maybe the first couple games, he was a little goofy towards the end of games where he'd want to kind of take over and everything. But, in general, I feel like we haven't really seen him through like throughout the, the full, like a full game really have that kind of mindset. Yeah, and you know I've actually got with Reggie Jackson and how he's been used. I've got some pretty serious beef with it, and I know that there's a decent number of people who have said that you know putting him more in an off-ball role. Oh, it's been so good. His his efficiency has been good, which it has. His efficiency. His true shooting percentage is almost 60% right now, which is would be, if that were to hold up, which it probably won't, but if it were to, that would be by far career high. But 
I cannot. I'm. They, it will have to take basically the entire season of them using him in that role and him continuing to really be effective for me to buy into that. And here's the bigger issue, though, is that for whatever reason, and I cannot figure out what it would be, they seem to have decided that they don't want to run pick and rolls with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond. And that is something that has been, right now, it is utterly baffling to me. And, you know, the other things with sort of Dwayne Casey's coaching is kind of like, yeah, this is a worry because this was a trend with the Raptors and and it's not great here. But for the most part, it's kind of like, you know, let's wait and see with this. But the lack of pick and rolls from Reggie Jackson is actually something that I am highly concerned about because that is where Reggie Jackson thrives. And not just that's where Reggie Jackson thrives, but that is by far after, you know, just giving the ball to Blake Griffin and having him try and do stuff. Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond running pick and rolls is by far your second best offensive option just for creating shots. And they don't seem to have any interest in doing it. And it's definitely had a negative impact on Andre Drummond. He's posting up all the time. His efficiency is terrible. Uh, He's just, he's not getting as many dunks. And it's just, it's utterly baffling to me why they're not running more pick and rolls. Because in a game like last night, where they are so comically keyed into Blake Griffin that should be your go-to thing. Just say, all right, Andre, go set a screen for Reggie, and we're going to make this work. And that's not at all what they've done. And it's just it's just very, very, very concerning to me because there's not really an argument for, well, they're going to, they'll get that implemented later, right? Like, that's been the Pistons' offense for the last, you know, two, three years, three-plus years, where, like, they know how to do it. They don't need reps. There's no reason, there's no excuse for them to not be running them. You can't argue, well, they need more time to sort of get that ironed out or this, that, or the other thing. Those two guys can do that in their sleep. So, and it's just like, because, so Dwayne Casey's offenses, as much as it does frustrate me that they're very simple, they don't have a lot of layers to them, etc., there is a certain beauty to the fact that he doesn't overthink things. He just does he just lets guys do their thing. But clearly he has given a directive to not have Jackson and Drummond run pick and rolls. Because we all know I Jackson has said it on several times. Like he's outright said, you know, I wish that I could have a team where we just I just ran a pick and roll every single play, and that's just what we did. Like <laughs> he's literally said that a few different times. So we know for a right. fact that if Reggie Jackson had his way, he'd be running a pick and roll every single time down the floor. Obviously, that's not what you want because you don't want to do the same thing over and over again like that. But the fact that they have done it so little means that there clearly is a directive from Dwayne Casey saying, we need you to not run so many pick and rolls. And that is utterly and completely baffling to me, especially on a night where Blake Griffin is struggling so much and especially when Blake Griffin's not on the floor. Because when he's not on the floor, even then they don't divert to it. And just, that's that's honestly, of all the things I'm like, yeah, I don't feel so great about this. That is the biggest thing from a coaching perspective that I am concerned about right now. Because there's simply, there's no argument for them to not be running plenty of pick and rolls with Jackson and Drummond. It's simple, it's to the point, it doesn't require any implementation. That is, you show up and you go, yeah, we're going to still let you guys run tons of pick and rolls because you're really good at it. 
and they just they just have not done it. So, yeah, very frustrating. Anything you want to touch on to that before we go into the next game? No, agreed. That is my take. All right. Sorry, I've, I've ranted a little long. I didn't let you get <laughs> no, in. <again>. <laughs> um, so we'll finish up with looking at their next game, which is also, of course, against the Celtics. Um, I I don't know for sure when we'll get this up. We'll get this up yet to, on Sunday night or Monday morning, but... Um, regardless, the game is Tuesday night, I believe. So they'll have had, both teams will have had two days off and it is in Boston. And that's the start of a stretch where they're going to play a bunch of road games. I think it was like, what, five of six or something like that. But yeah. Yeah. So just some thoughts on the next game against the Celtics and then sort of going forward with a bit of a road trip. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, leading up to this first Celtics game, I feel like we were going to, we Everybody was trying to really get a good sense of what this team has. And, I mean, you know, minus Luke Kennard, you don't, you know, even though he wasn't playing a whole lot, you don't really like to see them go into TD Garden with without, you know, or not being at full strength. But, you know, I feel like having seen this team Saturday night and then having to go in and kind of hopefully, like, you want to see Casey kind of make those adjustments to be ready for what you saw back in Detroit. But, you know, I feel like they – you know, after having a tough loss like that, they should they shouldn't be able to give him a good game. And you know, they gave they played him really hard last year. I think Drummond had one of his one of the best games I can remember him having in his career against uh, the Celtics uh, last year in TD Garden. So I feel like that. You know, the, the can they win? Of course they can. You know, they they're plenty good, but the Celtics are just a great team. So I'm I'm I wouldn't hold out hope on that, but. Uh, but then the, you want to – if you're going to lose a game, you're going to lose it to that team because the next stretch is – it's 5-6. So they got um, they got the Nets next, which, you know, we've we've seen them beat them. and It'll be in Brooklyn, but that's a team you should beat. They're playing the Sixers again, which, again, that'll be – that's a team they've already faced this year. And you, you want to see them – you want to see what they can do on the road against them. Um I imagine I think Simmons is back now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so they'll see that. Which so this this next little road trip, I think, will really see what what this team has to offer as far as what kind of adjustments they can make after you know a bad loss. But yeah. But yeah, we'll see. Well, it should definitely be at least a little bit closer, just in terms of regression to the mean like we both said a big part of the last game is just that the Celtics shot really well which was going to happen at some point because they had shot so poorly and the Pistons shot really really poorly which was going to happen because they had shot really well so far and so that should even out a bit but I will say uh, I would not hold your breath for Dwayne Casey to make correct adjustments Uh, they might do some simple things but no matter what, especially against a guy as good as Brad Stevens, that is going to be a very one-sided battle in terms of sort of strategic adjustments made by the coaches. And it is going to be tough because you're going to Boston, who's a better team than you, and then you're going to Brooklyn, which even though the Pistons are better than Brooklyn, that is the second night of a back-to-back. And then I mean, there's a very real chance that uh, they'll be going to... Because they go to Philly, who will be healthy, theoretically. There's a good chance that they could lose their next three and end up being 4-4 four four going into a stretch that's still going to be kind of tough. 
So if they can come back and bounce back and win this game against Boston, which is possible because, first off, the shooting will even out. I'd expect Andre Drummond to show up with a little bit more fire in that game. He usually has a little extra for Boston. He's really dominated the Celtics at TD Garden in particular. So I I could see them winning that game, but it is going to be... There, there is definitely an extent to which they've got to be careful coming up here because it's a stretch of the season where they could lose all of the good vibes that they built up by winning their first four games very, very quickly. And the worry is that some of the numbers, the wider numbers, suggest that there's a very good chance that they're going to lose a bunch of games coming up because they probably shouldn't have won all four of their first games. So, yeah, it's going to be important for them to bounce back and at the very least not let Brooklyn beat them. Because if they start letting teams that are worse than them beat them, they're going to be in serious trouble because I think they're going to have a really tough time beating teams better than them just because they're not they're not very tactically sound, quite frankly. So um, Especially until they get their defense figured out because their defense is still a mess. But, yeah, any last thoughts from you? No, yeah, I think I think you nailed it. You know, I th- they could – I'd hate to see them uh... – lose a ton of this on this next road trip but they're they're a middle of the road eastern conference team like holy like a you know a 4-0 start wasn't going to last forever and you know it's gone now and I hope that I kind of hope them not like losing this game kind of makes them think okay now we don't have to worry about like oh when's the first first loss going to come because it's here you got smacked in the mouth you know I feel like they should they should I think this next Celtics game is going to be much tighter and much you know at least for most of it you know whether they whether somebody pulls away at the end is you know whatever but I feel like it'll be a whole lot closer and we'll see a whole lot more of what this team can really do against the top teams in the east yeah all right that's what we'll finish up on I think um stay beautiful everybody and go Pistons